Welcome to Comically Comics, your one-stop listen to all things comics. We're talking books, movies, TV shows, video games, and more. I must forewarn you, though, we are a spoiler cast, and what that means is we consider all properties, past, future, and present to be valid, and we will spoil the hell out of them. I'm your host, Michael, along with my two co-hosts, Richard and Jeremy, and with all that being said, let's get started. All right, it is Sunday, December 4th, and we are finishing up our review of Sandman from Netflix. This episode is going to review episodes 7, 8, 9, and 10. Yeah, so how do y'all feel about these three episodes? What is y'all's whelming of this section of episodes that's kind of a story in and of itself? Uh, for me, I was I was pleasantly whelmed. I, I really enjoyed it. It's a deeper, darker kind of comic book story, and I, it's I kind of I enjoy those and more more thought provoking, I guess to, to some extent. I could definitely see the thought provoking. Did you enjoy this section more? Like, did you enjoy the dollhouse section? Is what I'll call this more than you did the nocturnals section. Oh god, that's that's a tough one, honestly. Because <laughs> <laughs> they like they kind of have. I mean, I see, I see now like what Richard was saying beforehand. How they're like it, the, those first five or its own like its own little story plot line stuff like that. And then you have episode six that's just kind of whatever, and then the these next five here. So it's. I probably would say I still like the the first five a little, uh, just a little better. It's a, it's a close race, but I think I I like the first five a little better. Why? Like I I feel the same as you. Why would you say that though? Like, what's your reasoning? Because to me, you get to see more of Dream, like what he's okay. kind of capable of, and that's uh, obviously more of what this show is supposed to be about. But at the same time, it was kind of kind of he he still did a lot in in the second part, but. I enjoyed seeing more of him and more what he could do on the on the first go around. Yeah, this definitely seemed like it was more Corinthian story than dreams in this. Yeah, this go around. All right, Richard, what do you say? You, um, you know, I was for the 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 dollhouse story. This is like one of the most popular. It's based off of one of the most popular comic book stories for Sandman. And I got to be honest with you. I didn't like it as much as I liked the first five. So I'm going to say I was like high whelmed. Like I'm still whelmed, but I'm not, I'm very close to pleasantly whelmed. (laughs) But (laughs) there is a lot of stuff that I do like about these episodes. So don't, I'm not like shitting all over it saying like they're God awful or anything, but I think I like the first five better, especially the sixth episode. That's the sixth and the fourth episode, the hell episode are my two favorite episodes of the yeah. entire series so far. Yeah. And so that's probably where I'm at right now on these. Okay, but so like just like I asked Jeremy, why did you prefer Nocturnals over Dollhouse? Uh I guess it was because learning who Dream is as well because like I wasn't too f- like I was familiar from him from the comic books, but I've never seen him in live action. I like I love uh Boyd Holbrook as the Corinthian like he yes. is very charismatic. Like you, you're you're very much like you want to see him. Just more of him. I don't think we're gonna see any more of him in the future. I kind of hope maybe they'll diverge from the comic and bring him back somehow. But anyway, so yeah, the the reason I guess is due just to those those two favorite episodes of mine, the fourth and sixth episode, the uh, Hope in Hell and the Sound of Her Wings. I just love those episodes so much. <laughs> and these are pretty straightforward. Like, 
I don't want to spoil anything until we actually start talking about it. But it, it's kind of like the story is very like we know where this is going to happen eventually. Like, do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Uh, like with the whole vortex and and all this, there's some twists and turns in there. But yeah, got you. Um, I think I'm with you on the whelming. Like I'm right there at that whelm, pleasantly whelmed to this. Uh, I agree with both y'all. I like the Nocturnals over Dollhouse only because quite like what you were saying, Jeremy, I like Dream. I like the way they made his character think and, and like perceive things and like how he went about solving his problems and stuff like that, where like this was a Corinthian story pretty much and like finishing that part off that lapped over from Nocturnals. Yeah, and I will say like on these, the last the Slack se- section that we watched is I did, but didn't like the whole where he wasn't like the quote unquote, the one in control there. Like he relied a lot on her at Lucian finally at one point. It, it was cool seeing like his change or whatever. I, and I'm sorry, we're getting into some of it, but just where you were saying, like seeing him actual dream figure these out and seeing that whole process, like, they kind of took that away from him a little bit on the the, the second half. So, I, yeah, I agree. I like actually watching him work through all that stuff. Yeah, but he just straight up just had a lack of just screen time. And so yeah. I almost wonder if he had like a conflict or what the deal was, because it was almost like in certain scenes, Matthew kind of took over for Dream as far as like an appearance being made. And like you could almost put Dream in that same spot and it makes sense. Yeah. So... Which I know the Ravens supposed to be like that, but still, it just I don't know. <laughs> I wish I would have liked to have seen more dreams. What I was getting at, yeah. So <laughs> I'll go ahead and touch on this real quick. This felt very much like a BBC show. Like this felt very much like Doctor Who. Like the yes. more I got to watching this and stuff like that, and so I I know that so far they're slated to do a season two again with Netflix. But like, if Netflix was ever to like take their ball and go home or whatever and just be done with it. Cause I know Gaiman was like, uh, we're, we'll shop it around. Like if Netflix doesn't do a season two, we'll shop it around. I seriously hope, especially with like the actors they seem to be getting and stuff like that. I seriously hope that they take it to BBC yeah. and see if they can get it over there. I don't like, I know it would have to be toned down like quite a bit probably, but like, I think it would make a really good addition to BBC. Yeah. Yeah. He, I'll get into it more later, but there's there's a lot of stuff that went on behind the scenes. This uh, slight spoilers. This show has been in development since like the like early '90s. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And Gaiman has kept it very close to the vest. Like he has very much. I will. Like I said, we'll get into it. I don't want to get into it yet. It's a long, <laughs> long thing. But um. But yeah, it's uh. It'd be interesting. I hope Netflix. If Netflix is smart, they need to at least keep this on for three seasons. They're not yeah. smart. <laughs> yeah, no, they're not. <laughs> no, they're not. They're as bad as Sony, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's jump into this. We're going to do episode seven, which is titled The Doll's House. This is uh, also the title for issue number... I got it wrote down somewhere. Where do I have it? 10 and 11. Okay, yes, 10. And in that issue, you'll also find the first Corinthian, first Desire, first Despair, first Rose Walker, and first Fiddler's Green as a place. And 11 becomes the first appearance of Fiddler's Green as a person. Synopsis real quick. We have, uh, we formally meet Rose Walker, who we saw in episode 
five, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, she was in a phone call with the um, lesbian chick that was at the diner. That was her friend. Oh, we actually yeah. saw a picture of her in the apartment as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, I forgot about that. <laughs> so there's that. We also meet her brother, Jeb. Desire and despair are plotting something. We jump seven years into the future. We learn Rose is a vortex and the dreaming is in danger because of that. Three major arcana from the dreaming are missing. Galt, Corinthian, and Fiddler's Green. Rose meets her great-grandmother, Unity Kincaid, who we met formally in the very first episode of this television series as well. A group of quote-unquote collectors try to get Corinthians' attention. So, likes, dislikes, what do y'all think about this episode? Was it a good kickoff? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it was. It didn't take long to really kind of start diving into what all is going to be be happening with these next this next part of the series. So, I, I mean, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. Like I said, this... I, all these episodes have been been a lot of a lot of fun to me. Uh, seeing seeing the the two having to get separated there, like that was that was rough. Seeing Rose and Jed having having to separate, I, h- I hated that part, obviously. But I don't have anything like major that's that stuck out to me right now. There's a nice DC call in that uh, in that scene where they're having to separate. You'll see like a Batman action figure, and I think he packed away like a Flash action figure as well. Um, And then like later on, there's other DC calls that they make and stuff like that in the series, which are fun. Yeah, so that was one of the things that I was going to bring up when we get to the, because I forgot that there was one in this one. Uh, At least I didn't write it down. But in the later one, I, I think I know which one you're referring to. That was the one thing that was weird because previously those other episodes like the hell episode where they could have done Etrigan or some kind of callbacks to DC they don't but in this last four episodes there's a lot of little DC easter eggs <laughs> yeah so that was one thing that was weird to me I was like why 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 are y'all doing this uh, it's very weird obviously I didn't notice any of those <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. It was just funny to me because like, you know, on the last episode, we were talking about like how I had mentioned about like the music whenever he was like that, whenever he was talking or like he would have those commands and like you, Michael, had said that, you know, you were happy that we, we noticed that because you don't notice those things. I was like, I was sitting there thinking, I was like, I normally don't notice these things. I don't know what happened on that episode. (laughs) Well, like when it comes to music though, y'all two seem to be like right there with like how the music changes, even down to like the keys and stuff like that. Me, I'm just oblivious to the shit and I'm just sitting here like just enthralled with whatever my eyes are just consuming at that point in time. Yeah. My ears are just like, nope, there's too much going on. Shut that down. Yeah, I guess, I, I don't know. I guess like the reason why I notice it is mainly due to my wife on certain things. And then I do, I don't know. Sometimes I listen to, because I like certain movies have like really great scores and it adds to whatever's happening on screen. And that's the only oh, reason yeah. why I notice it. But, uh, mm. but yeah, anyway. What were your thoughts on the episode, Richard? Uh, I kind like this one was kind of, eh, it was just, it's a setup episode. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, yeah, the first episode of the series where it's got to explain a lot of stuff to set everything up so that we can actually get the wheels turning here. Yeah. But yeah, I liked it. I like, uh, there's a moment where we learn that a conversation between despair and desire 
we learned that Nada and Roderick Burgess were like their doing. So that's very interesting to learn. Okay. Yeah. I missed that part. Yeah, it's a it, it's something that I missed watching it the first time around, but doing the second watch, I was like, oh shit. I didn't know that. <laughs> I had a, I actually noticed that one. So Hey. <laughs> <laughs> That's why like, I was trying to figure out like what they're, I mean, because they were talking about this third one that was supposed to, you know, be his dream's downfall. Obviously, they were referring to what happened with Unity and all that. So, yeah, I thought that was, I was trying to, I was waiting to see how all that kind of came full circle there. Are y'all enjoying seeing more of the Endless as they come around? Like this time we kind of got, this, we, we saw a glimpse of Desire at the end of episode five. And then we've seen death at six. And then here at seven, we actually get to see uh, despair. Like, I, I'm enjoying seeing more of the endless. Like, yeah. To see them yeah. in human form and stuff like that and how they kind of like replicate what their names are and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And the, the, uh, the costume design for some of them, uh, I didn't notice this, but I was looking up behind the scenes stuff. Uh, despair is wearing Crocs. I think that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> is Crocs the footwear for the the uh, the people just yes in despair? Is that is that what that is? Like <laughs> yes, absolutely. I like as a Crocs. person who's worn Crocs in the in the past. Yes, absolutely. They're, they're, <laughs> when you're at your lowest, is when you're wearing Crocs. When you're wearing Crocs. <laughs> yeah, and just just to give it more of an emphasis, like. Richard tried to give my wife a pair of Crocs and she just basically was about ready to throw them in the fire because that's, <laughs> that's just not her. How dare he did, she? He did it as a as a, a poke at her, basically. Yeah, as a gag gift. Crocs are great. I don't know what y'all are talking about. Uh-oh. I'm kind of going to... Sl- I've, no, I'm, I'm in the slides now. But, like, I liked Crocs. That's funny. I, and I'll, I'll say, too, I do, I do like see it. Obviously, since not reading the comic or anything like that. I have no idea what these characters were going to look like anyway, the endless. So I, I, I like seeing their, their portrayals of what they actually look like and everything. The one I'm very curious to see is delirium because she's the, I don't know, like she's very odd looking in the comics, but um, I'm very, I'm very curious to know like what, what they're going to do with, with her. Well, and Delirium was something else before she changed her name to Delirium, wasn't it? Probably. I don't, I'm not huge on it. I just, when I was looking, <laughs> honestly, the only reason I know what they all look like now is because I was looking up their uh, different um, symbols mm-hmm. when one of the Endless goes into their gallery to summon one of their siblings. I was just looking up all that because I was like, who's who here? Because yeah. I'm not like the biggest Sandman fan here. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Morpheus is his helm though isn't it isn't that what I saw yeah, in Desires it, yeah you'll see it it kind of looks like a crow but yeah it's supposed to be his helm okay but we even made you. I, was it you that made reference I think it was yeah about how his helm looks like a crow yeah or a raven raven common mistake yeah. yes <laughs> yes yes exactly <laughs> alright how bad do y'all feel for Jed like oh yeah. like how does that even happen which I'm sure it does but like it's so funny to think how ridiculous this show can be and then at the same time think, or am I just honestly just that lucky like that I don't notice any of this stuff that's going on in, in normal life? Well, and, and it's weird because like typically it's very hard for 
the dad to have a custody of children uh, unless like the mom is just completely abusive or something like that. But it sounded like in the background that like the dad, he was, he was not a good dad. So it, it's kind of, that one is kind of odd that like how, how he would have been able to keep custody of, of at least one of the kids. Yeah. Especially, I don't know if this is their actual uncle, but uncle Barnaby, I know this is for the next episode, but he's a total Actually, no, 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 he's not a dick because I wrote down the exact note here. <laughs> Uncle Barnaby is a fucking piece of shit human being is what I yes. said. <laughs> yes, he actually, yes. And he's very adamant about that $800 a month. Yeah, Right. So, which I'm like, bro. Yeah. Get a job. <laughs> yeah, for real. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah, it's, um, this, this show does touch on like horrible things. Like, yeah, unfortunately, Gaiman does that. A lot of his stories are that way. Uh, it's nothing like the guy does Preacher and the boys and uh, what's his name? Enos? Garth Enos? Yeah, thank you. Gar- it's nothing like Garth Enos, but Gaiman does not shy away from like just awful things in the world that happen, which I like because it's like he's not, he's not treating you like a child. He's treating you like an adult who's reading yeah. an adult story. Yeah. And I know it's a comic book and we like in America, a lot of times view it as like stuff for children, but no, it absolutely isn't a lot of the time. So yeah, I think it's cool. Well, and also like here in America, I guess around the world, honestly, we've gotten so accustomed to like Pixar Mm -hmm. and you know, the child movies that have adult humor in them and stuff like that. Like I want to just take a comic-y pasta moment and I probably shouldn't, but I I was so (laughs) mad I was so mad when Pixar got bought by Disney because I've always wanted Pixar to do an adult cartoon. Oh, like I've yeah. always wanted them to do an and like uh it wasn't like super violent or anything, but there's this animated movie called Nine that I think was made by like Paramount oh. or something like that. And it's pretty scary for a kid's cartoon or animated movie, whatever you want to call it. And I was always like, this is what Pixar should be doing. And then they got bought by Disney and then they've made nothing but kids movies. And it just annoys me. <laughs> was Gaiman a part of nine? Because I think he was a part of Coraline and went in the studio that did Coraline, the same one that did nine. Or am I totally wrong on that? I have no idea. Either way, they're not comic books. So, like, yeah. <laughs> but for, I don't know, just it kind of went back to Gaiman. So I was, Pretty positive Gaiman did Coraline. And I want to say that either came out around the same time or... And I can't remember who did Frankenweenie either. I want to say that was somebody. Yeah. Uh, It was Tim Burton. Okay. The director was Shane Acker, but Tim Burton, per, per Wikipedia anyway, it says Tim Burton was associated with this. So yeah, anyway. Sorry, comic pasta. Yeah, no, but I, I'll just say I do it. I agree too on that. Like that. That's what I guess one thing I like about this this whole series is just that it is actually more uh, geared towards adults and just actually really having to think about things. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it would, it doesn't, doesn't say much, I guess, well, I guess it would say how much, how more of an adult kind of series it is by me saying that I wouldn't let my kids watch it. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have no, I have no stakes in this battle. I, I have no kids. So, <laughs> I wasn't even going to ask you that. <laughs> I thought it was a given. Yeah, well, should be, but with my track record, you never know, I guess. <laughs> I, 
I like giving that extra little info just to sit yeah. there and see because you know people have that question every now and then of hey oh, is no, this I, MCU I, movie okay for kids and yeah. so I completely agree like I, mean, I have no problem with it I just think that I just was poking at it so. <laughs> <laughs> all right on to episode eight wait, unless wait, we- wait 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 sorry uh just couple of things. I love one Rose has her multicolored hair like she has in the comic. She is white in the comics. She's black here, but I love that they kept her weird like rainbow hair too. I wish they had done this for the show, but I was following along with the comic again. And when Rose first like uses her vortex powers to see into the dreaming and she's like spying on Lucian and Dream like talking about her in the comic, he actually like breaks the fourth wall and is pointing to the reader. Like he's pointing to us mm-hmm. and it's really, it's a really cool moment. And I really kind of wish they'd have done something similar in the show. Weirdly, they didn't. So I just thought that was kind of cool. I do have a question since you were keeping up with the comic as you were watching the show. So I know like during Nocturnals and stuff like that, we were talking a lot about how like there was lots of panels that came to life. I noticed when I was going back and looking for like names of books and stuff like that that went with the episode, I'd scan through the the comic as well. And I didn't, there weren't as many panels that stuck out to me as like pulled straight from the comic on screen. Did you notice that as well? Or was your take different? No, absolutely. There was, uh, when following along, this one diverges a lot from the comic and it also jumps around. Like it's not in the same or like the first five episodes were like almost panel for panel, the same thing from the comic. Yeah. This one is completely done differently. And I think it's due to maybe modernizing some things. Cause like, I don't know. It's just very bizarre. I know what, I was about to say, we got to have our uh, our runtime, though. Oh, yes. Uh, well, before <laughs> that, I just wanted to mention, because we first see them in this episode, uh, Merv Pumpkinhead. Yes! Played by Mark Hamill. I think that's awesome. Oh, is he? Yeah, he's voiced by Mark Hamill. He's actually a, a, a guy in a suit, in like a puppet suit. And then they CGI'd like the mouth moving. So he's actually physically there with like green screen behind him. And oh, like, cool. he's like walking around doing things and then they add of course they later on add uh Mark Hamill's voice over in post but uh yes the runtime for this episode is 44 minutes 6 seconds the actual runtime anyways <laughs> I will say when I saw the animation for Merv Pumpkinhead at first I was like oh this doesn't look that great considering like all the other things like Goldie and stuff like that that we had seen before then Mm-hmm. I was like, oh man, this doesn't look that great. And then like the second go around when I watched a couple clips with him in it and stuff like that, I was like, oh, it doesn't bother me so much. But I don't know. We just, we we were so harsh on She-Hulk about the CGI that was in that. <laughs> I wanted to touch on it just a little bit, but like, I mean, all in all, the CGI that was in the show, I think was miles oh, yes. better oh, yeah. than She-Hulk was. Like, There was a few, I can't think of the top of my head. I didn't make notes, but I know when when Fiddler's Green becomes Fiddler's Green again, and they're like standing in him, essentially, yeah. I thought I thought that looked really bad. Uh, I, it looked like they were on a a green screen or blue screen set, but for the most, like, yeah, obviously this isn't She Hulk, 
<laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, this was leaps and bounds better than what She Hulk had. Yeah, but yeah. Anyway, and and some of the in the in the what was it the lighter scenes? Because I mean, mm-hmm. we like the darker scenes of She Hulk. Yes. So all right, episode eight. Yep. All right, cool. Uh, episode eight is playing house. This is shared by the same title for the issue number twelve of Sandman Volume Two. I'll add because Volume One's old. You're not going for that. <laughs> um, Galt is taking part of Jed's dreams. Lyda has a weird relationship with her hu- with her dead husband. Uh, Rose can travel through other people's dreams, and Rose finds Jed in his dream. So, yeah, that's <laughs> okay. I, I'm just saying that's that's pretty much the episode. Yeah. All right. Well, on to episode nine. <laughs> no, 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 no. There's there's a lot of Easter eggs for this. A lot of like yeah. breakdowns about things on this episode. <laughs> oh, we'll jump in. Yeah. Okay. In Jed's dream, when he's playing the Sandman, uh, we see a Captain Cold and Psycho Pirate on the monitors behind him. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. There's also a mention of Doctor Death and the Pied Piper, who are all DC villains. I'll be yeah. like B list, D list, C list villains, but still villains nonetheless. It's also a reference to the old Sandman comic book. Yes. So, Volume one. Like his outfit and everything? Yeah, the outfit, identical. Like, what? Okay, so there's been, before Morpheus, there's been three different versions of the Sandman. The one, the third one is what it's referencing. The one with the costume. You can see he has the red ruby and a bag of sand as well. He doesn't have a helm, but... Gaiman came to Vertigo and said he wanted to do a Sandman story and make it more darker and less superhero-y. So he uses the same elements. And this was kind of a way to retcon it because in the comic, when Morpheus comes to Jed's dream, he meets uh, Brute and Glob, I think, which are villains of the old Sandman comic book. But Mm -hmm. they established that they're like nightmares from Morpheus's thing. So they're implying, I think, that like the Sandman comic where he's more superhero-y with a cape and red and yellow costume was all just part of a dream that Jed had. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. But there, it, there's, there's more levels. I don't want to spoil this for you, but the husband of Lyda is technically the Sandman. Like his name, what was his name? Daniel Hall? Was that it? Hector. Hector. Hector Hall. Sorry. Yes, I messed up there. Um, <laughs> Hector Hall is the original Sandman, like the one in the suit and costume. They don't say that or show that in the movie, but in the DC universe, the comic book universe, that's who that is. Really? There's also, I'll probably say off this off podcast because I don't want to spoil it for the next season or possibly third season if they do that. But there's a big importance with that baby that Lila yeah. ends up having. That was my... Gonna be my one of my questions about that because they never address what's gonna happen with that later. So yeah. Do they ever say what like what Lila's last name is Hector what's Hector's last name? Uh he's called Hector Hall at some point. Oh, okay. Okay. I know where this goes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I figured you you knew where this went, but yeah. You know, I'll just <laughs> screw it. I'm just gonna say it. <laughs> 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 they have a child called Daniel Hall. Daniel Hall becomes the new dream after Morpheus dies. Really? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but he's an endless. Yes. How endless die? 
I don't want to get into that part. I'm not going to spoil everything. I just want. <laughs> well, we see in in these little four episodes how he gets cut. So it's not that it's impossible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. Yeah. So, by the way, the name of that. So, as far as DC goes, they're Sandman number one from 1974, which is stated as the first appearance of Sandman. That guy's name is Garrett Sanford. So, I don't know if that was one of the guys you were missing or. Yeah, I. It's the one he looks like. He's like black and white or gray or something, and he's got like a weird motif. Oh, this to him. is this is that reference to uh, Jed's oh. costume. Okay. Oh no, I'm I'm stupid. I did write it down for our listeners. I'm I'm a moron. I just want y'all to know this. I'm a big, <laughs> no, you're not. I'm a big <laughs> dummy. Uh, Lyda Hall's husband is in the comics is Hector Hall. He's the son of Carter Hall. And Shira Hall, Hawkman and Hawk Girl. I'm so stupid. Oh, cool. He's the, yeah, he's huh. the third version of Sandman. Dream was the fourth in DC continuity, and he would later become a version of Dr. Fate. Not the current version. I think he's like the fourth version of Dr. Fate. But anyway. Oh, I didn't know all that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. All right, then. But Daniel Hall does become the replacement of Morpheus. So, Which is... Another reason why I say it's very much like Doctor Who, because it's like another actor is now taking uh, the role of this main character of the show. Yeah. 007. Yeah. Yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah, the British like to do that a lot now that I think about it. <laughs> they should do that with Indiana Jones. I'm just saying. Agreed. Yeah. Let Harrison Ford retire. Anyways. Fly his plane. <laughs> um, we'll say like, I, if that is a representation, like, Jed's dream is a representation of what the Sandman obviously used to look like. I like this version better. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Bronze Age goodness. Come on now. So, my, I like what they did with Galt. Like, I like how Galt was yeah. originally a nightmare. She stayed looking like a nightmare even after, you know, when they, when they finally revealed her true form. But, like, I like how this episode's deal was change and a mindset of change. And, like, that's all that this story seems to really be about is a mindset of change, whether it be a nightmare turning into a dream, a getaway. Like, a nightmare had feelings for a kid who was in a horrendous situation. Mm-hmm. And they even mentioned, like, Dream even says they spend one third of their life in the dreaming. Yeah. So, like, She's sitting there trying to take care of him for at least a third of his life or until he can get out of that situation. You know what I mean? And like give him someplace where he can be a superhero, like and have fun. Yeah. Um, and then Morpheus, you know, as he changed and Lucinia, like as she understands different roles and stuff like that and different side of dream and their relationship. Like, I don't know. It was just a lot of like mindsets changing. So yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Can we talk about the the one thing I think they should have changed slightly for from the comic in this episode? All the roommates for the house in Florida, what a weird <laughs> motley crew of people. Like, once again, I watched this show before we we did the review, not following along the comics, not not having read this story. And when they show up, I was like, these are comic, this is very comic book characters. Like the weird, they're not even twins. We did like, they don't know if they're sisters or lovers, but the ones that have like the tarantula collection or whatever, yeah. like, 
yeah. and they're all goth. Like, what a bunch of weirdos. <laughs> <laughs> then you've got, like, the the gay drag queen guy and then Barbie and Ken. I was like, what the fuck is happening here? <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how that, though, still fits, like, with our society today and even more so because of, like, Airbnb and shit like that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And just... I, I just literally my note was just like what a motley crew of of people <laughs> like it's just so fucking bizarre and like uh Hal the 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 gay guy that's drag when he's in drag he looks like Lucille Ball I'm just saying yes! he looks like he looks like yes! I love Lucy <laughs> yes! and uh that dream when we see their different dreams Barbie's dream I was like is Barbie on acid like what the fuck <laughs> Yeah, her like mustache creature thing. Yeah, uh, she's played way too much World of Warcraft. Like during her spare time, like she is, she is deep in it. And lastly, just these are my funny thoughts of this episode was when the Corinthian shows up and gets a flyer from Hal, and then he immediately like nopes the hell out so Rose doesn't see him. I was like, is no one suspicious of a man in Florida dressed? In an overcoat, like on the beach, sweating his ass off, <laughs> <laughs> walking fully clothed on uh, clothed on the beach. Yeah, like I was like that alone is suspicious enough. <laughs> Since we're talking about Corinthian and and his attire as he goes to these strange places, that's one globe trotting motherfucker right there. I'm just right? letting y'all know he goes from Huntsville, Alabama. Oh yeah, all the way across. I forgot we got called out in this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Doesn't he go all the way to Essex, England? Yeah. Oh, to yeah. To go meet with, yeah. with Unity? Yeah. Like half a day later? Yeah, yeah. And then he's back and, in Florida. <laughs> and then he, he finds out from her that she's in Florida and flies his ass on back over. My, like, bruh. So, <laughs> my assumption is that he doesn't fly. Like, he doesn't travel like a normal person. He can just, like, teleport? And the only reason I say that is I just don't see the Corinthian boarding and like him having to go through like metal Customs. detectors and stuff and take off his glasses and things like that. Like, I just don't see that happening. Maybe either so. like flies private. Maybe he has a private jet where he doesn't have to do that. Or he can somehow just like, cause he got out of the, remember how he got torn to bits in the previous five episodes. Yeah. And then he ended back up in the dreaming and then he was just like, I'm going back to the waking world. So somehow he knows how to travel between, you know, realms. So I'm assuming maybe that's how he's able to like fast travel. That makes more sense. I was going to say he probably has a prescription for those glasses. Like <laughs> that way he doesn't have to take them off like yeah. when he's at the airport. <laughs> I want to know if he's cold. Does his eyes chatter? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they do have, like, a personality of their own. Like, as his, like, they acted a, very much like eyelids. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah. squint and stuff like that. And they had expression. Oh, man. There was a, um, since we're talking about it, there's a part in the comic where I really wish they had kept this in the show. But some, like, guys try to mug the Corinthian. He's, like, walking down a dark alley. They were, like, waving a knife. And then some guy, like, tries to reach up and take his glasses off. And then the next panel shows when he draws his hand back, he's like missing fingers. And <laughs> holy cow. Yeah, it's really dark and kind of cool. And then, of course, the Corinthian like pulls out his knife and is like going to basically kill them and take their eyes and stuff. And it's just like, I really wish they had shown that in the show. 
Yeah. There's a cover, and I can't remember which book it is, but it's the Corinthian. He's sitting, like, and he's got a newspaper up, but, like, where his mouth and eyes are, those parts of the newspaper have been chewed out. Uh, and so, like, oh, nice. and he's, like, looking through those holes, like, at the, the reader. That's a cool cover. I was just yeah. like, oh, wow, that's creepy as fuck. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what to think of the whole Lida and her husband and all that jazz. That's that's just weird. And how fast and quick she gets enthralled with it. I was like, chick, uh, haven't you already gotten over this? Like, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know how long ago this was, but, you know, you're you're definitely, like, they made a movie about this. Like, <laughs> you, sh- you should be done and over with this. Like, uh, According, like, I think it says in in there that he had been dead like two or three years mm-hmm. at this point. That's what I'm saying. Like she, I would hope she would have like, yeah, you know, not forgotten, but you know, at least gotten to a good place in her life where yeah, she could say, this is a dream. You're not really fucking me kind of thing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it was also like, I mean, yeah, you know, like Rose is bringing dreams. Like she's breaking down that barrier between like reality and, and whatever. But anywho. Yeah. That 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 whole story there still lost me and still just whatever because I was just like oh this is this is really weird this is just I yeah. I've, I've I've lost interest <laughs> and like her crying in one scene which I think is in the next episode I was like well she did not do a good job crying there that's not uh, I don't feel for her at all <laughs> <laughs> that's funny all right y'all got anything else for this episode nope uh, we need our run oh damn it. <laughs> This episode is 46 minutes, one second. More consistent with the time, it seems, so far. Yeah. Yeah. Then, like, right around that 45-minute average. Yeah. It's not bad. All right. Episode 9, titled Collectors, which is the same as episode as issue 14 of Sandman. Corinthian and Jed go on a road trip to Georgia to the serial uh, convention, which is just <laughs> weird as fuck. <laughs> weird as fuck. Uh, Rose and Gilbert go in, on their own way up to Georgia to go pick Jed up. The dreaming is starting to crack. And that's that's literally pretty much the episode. I like that. Yeah. yeah. You know, like we were talking about a second ago with the whole like, does this stuff really happen or is it just we're just that oblivious and it's that we're that oblivious or is it like, no, this is all made up. Like how many serial killer conventions are there across America <laughs> that we don't know about? You know what I mean? Like, surely somebody has tried to do this. It's kind of like that whole, like, you got to put warning signs on thing, like, caution, coffee's hot, because some idiot burnt themselves on coffee. Like, <laughs> yeah, is that what's happening here? Like, there's been a serial killer convention, and we don't know about it? N- no. So, <laughs> I, I knew about this previously before, but this is meta commentary from Gaiman about both comic book conventions and serial killers in general because when he was a comic book artist he attended a comic book convention not expecting there to be that many people there and there was and he was like well that's weird like there's you know this niche sort of thing that I do but there's tons of people that are into it and and have flown all over the place to come here yeah also when he made this which was in 1989 the rise of serial killers were a thing. Like, because this is all from, like, interviews okay. that he's spoken about it. Like, there were tons of serial killers popping up. Yeah, So yeah, he yeah. thought that his thought process when making the serial convention 
was that if there's a, a, a big group of people that assemble for this niche thing of comics, is there something as demented and dark as a convention for serial killers? That's what I'm saying. And But also, I just love it. <laughs> like, I just love it's also this meta commentary of like just conventions in general, like all these little like separate rooms with seminars and you got to have yeah. like your name tag <laughs> yeah. and stuff like yeah. that. <laughs> okay. So how did they get past Funland? Which, by the way, I'm just going to let y'all know something real quick. Um, I used to work with a guy oh, no. who looked exactly like Funland. I'm oh, talking like for him. <laughs> to the point, I was like, is that the same guy? Oh, like, no, I feel so bad for him then. <laughs> he, I swear, he looks exactly like that man. Like the nose, the face, everything, the beard, all of it. He looks exactly like that man. Well, one that the 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 casting on this show is so great because he looks exactly like the character from the yeah. comic. Yeah, like the comic book guy, I think has like a creepy mustache, but he still looks exactly like it. And then two, I don't know how they got past. I think they went down a different location, but I will say I'm going to talk a little bit about, about behind the scenes for Funland. Do y'all know that Funland was intended to be Disneyland? And that's why he's wearing he's wearing the hat. And it was supposed to be Mickey Mouse ears to the point where it was gonna go to print. It was gonna go to print. And the the like, I don't know, the law team of uh, Vertigo or DC, I can't remember who was the owner at this time, was like, you can't do that. They will sue us into the ground. <laughs> so <laughs> they had to change it to Funland, and then they like drew over the Mickey Mouse ears and made them wolf ears. <laughs> wow! I mean, like whenever he has that whole spiel about where he finds his victims, I mean that's yeah, that's obviously Disney World, Disneyland, yes. and like it's funny because my wife and I are planning a trip, like a little Christmas present for the kids, and like. I looked at her whenever this was happening. He was talking about it. And I was like, we still going here? Like, <laughs> like they're going to be all like, our kids are going to be like on handcuffs next to us, basically like throughout the freaking whole park or whatever. But yeah, like whenever he was saying that, I was like, that's because yeah, I mean, the also scary part is like, there's probably people out there that like him like that. Unfortunately, I mean, yeah. I, I mean they kids abducting all the time, unfortunately. But oh, a few years ago, there was somebody going around the resorts that was snatching up women that was that was walking the resorts at night. Really? Yeah. Good grief. Yeah. At least over in Florida, um, it was, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I love the design of him. Like he's got the wolf on the shirt implying that he is like a wolf in sheep's clothing kind of thing. Like he is, he has this demeanor about him, the way he talks with kids and stuff like that to lure them in. But he's actually, you know, the big bad wolf, if you will. Yeah. Cool design, sick fucking character. Oh my God. <laughs> Not yeah. a good way. Um, <laughs> right. I also in this episode, I don't know if y'all, I had this thought while watching it the second time around. I love the juxtaposition, or maybe not even the juxtaposition, but the like Jed talking about his uncle Barnaby and the Corinthian talking about Morpheus. It felt very much like Jed and the Corinthian were having this like moment about their like stepdads being terrible towards them, essentially. Because 
Okay. This whole theme with these four episodes is like, can a nightmare change? Can people change? Like, it's really just that. Like, yeah. can we change who we are? And it felt like the, I'm kind of skipping to it, but that final showdown with the Corinthian and Morpheus, it felt very much like he was angry at Morpheus for being like, you created me this way. I'm just doing what you told me to do. Exactly. Yeah. Kind of what Barnaby was kind of doing with Jed. Like, in other words, creating, eventually, I don't know, Jed's going to need a lot of therapy by the end of all this. <laughs> um, uh, because, like, he was being beaten. It was essentially, like, you know how, like, violence is, there's, like, a cycle of violence. Like, if you abuse your kid, they eventually may grow up and abuse their kids and so on and so forth. Yeah. I don't know. There was some kind of connection between those two. I don't know if y'all caught that or not. No. <laughs> <laughs> I laugh, but no, I didn't look at that the same way. But like now that you're, you know, bringing it to my attention, I can totally see yeah. a lot of what you're talking about and stuff like that. I don't kind of see the whole Jed with Barnaby mm-hmm. only because like, like you said, like dream created Corinthian to be a nightmare and Corinthian went above and beyond to almost like please his daddy kind of thing. Like, yeah, look what I did. You know what I mean? Whereas like Jed, he couldn't do anything right. There was no please. Like he wasn't created by him, Barnaby. You know what I mean? Like he was. No, but what I'm saying is the years of abuse had, had Barnaby continued to be able to do what he was doing to Jed, either two outcomes would happen. Jed would be dead or Jed would eventually kill Barnaby and become a monster essentially a nightmare uh, yes yes and no i agree that's what i'm trying to say i got you okay well and also i mean like i said too it didn't sound like he had the best dad in the world in the first place yeah so it probably got got hit like just even from whenever he was basically born with that kind mm-hmm. of thing basically this episode is saying hey guys be good fathers to your children right yeah. um, yes exactly be there for them and, you know, love them and care for them and stuff like that. Don't be dickheads and, like, j- dip out. So Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. <laughs> Man up. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, outside of that, I mean, episode 10 was probably the best for me. I enjoyed that the most. Like, all this other stuff that's kind of just, it's just a story getting there kind of thing. And it wasn't as intriguing as Nocturnals was. It was good, but it wasn't as, you know, it didn't get to me. Yeah, I agree. There is some more Easter eggs when Jed is in his hotel room and he's eating the chicken fingers and stuff. He is watching Static Shock. It's season three, episode 13, titled Toys in the Hood. I just think that's a hilarious name for (laughs) for the title. (laughs) And it is, you know, where Superman and Static Shock team up to fight the Toy Man. Yes, Static Shock. (laughs) Also, I had a note, just as a funny note, Rose Walker is way too calm about everything that's happening in her life. Like, like she she finds out that she's some sort of vortex, that there's this king of dreams, and, like, where you go to is a realm, and, like, she sees Morpheus and Lucian, there's a talking raven, Lyda gets pregnant from a dream, like, she's just way too calm about all this. <laughs> oh, there's a simple explanation for that. She's high. yeah yeah i totally agree yeah i i don't know what i guess it's one of those like my life's been this fucked up anyway so why not add this to it sure yeah yeah yeah. why not (laughs) 
Which honestly, her life hadn't even been that messed up. Poor Jed, his life's been messed yeah, up. That's what, she she yeah. went to college and all that stuff. So right. All right, y'all got anything else? Uh, yes. Sorry, the actual runtime. I tried yeah, to make sure is. I remembered it. <laughs> Uh, the actual runtime is 44 minutes, 34 seconds. Nice. All right. Here is the conclusion to this dollhouse story. We get episode 10 called Lost Parts, which is the same title for issue number 16. Corinthian sets his plan in motion. Morpheus confronts Corinthian. Rose and Jed go back to Florida. The walls of the dreaming start to break. Unity makes the ultimate sacrifice. Lyda has a baby and Dream confronts Desire. I thoroughly, like, as soon as Dream came on the scene to, like, confront Corinthian, I was like, yes. Like, this is what I like. This is what I want. Like, all the parts were, like, Dream confronts Corinthian, Rose, Unity, Desire. Like, all those scenes, I was like, yes, this is the, this is the episode that I wanted. This is what I yeah. like about this this TV series right here. Yeah, I agree. Like what we were saying earlier as far as wanting to see Dream more. Like that's what I loved about this one and just in the whole where he was starting to correct everything and even when like with the whole Hector and that whole Lida situation and him being there and just like it was cool, but also like I felt bad for Lida whenever he just goes like, all right, you're done and just wipes him down. And he just, yeah, like he, he slowly deteriorates. And I'm like, yeah, oh, that's horrible. Like, yeah, it was. Yeah, it, was. it was very like, I was like, that was a dick move. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, why couldn't you just make him just like go away quick? Like just poof, yeah. he's gone. Like instead of seeing him like decay. <laughs> he's saying. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I Like, and I think it's just back to what we've been talking about. Like Morpheus is a dick. Uh, and like, but he's learning to be human. Like he's learning to be kinder and and whatever. But yeah, there are moments where you're like, dude, what the fuck, man? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I was not expecting uh I was not expecting Dream to get stabbed in the hand. Like when Bad, he put yeah. his hand up to like start taking you away, and like that was a badass moment. I'm not gonna lie, from Corinthian to just sit there and be like, no, yeah. <laughs> yes. Stab him in the head. I was like, oh, wow. This has gotten real, real quick. Uh-huh. Yeah. But I like their whole confrontation they had. I like them going into the dream and that whole back and forth. That, that was creepy. He comes down. He's like, wake up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's oh, like yeah. right there. I was like, oh, okay then. Yeah. That, and then this one, like my wife was kind of was the first one to actually really start kind of figuring out that Gilbert was a was the missing nightmare. Because I, I didn't. Didn't know which that <laughs> that third one was going to be, but so whenever he really came, you didn't figure that out. I don't. I don't really try to figure out much while I'm watching it. I just let it play out. He he like I don't know, especially when he like sees the Corinthian and the Corinthians like that's well, very that, much like hammering over your head like oh he's the other dream. Well, that but I mean like it was kind of like before. Like, oh okay, I see what you're saying. So I mean yeah, once he started seeing like once he's saw Corinthian and I was like, oh, okay. But no, I didn't put together that. But seeing him, I think he was really cool watching him and like, he was just a, you know, really nice character, like just a, a different, well, I mean, you didn't really get to see much of Galt. Galt and Fiddler's Green were both really, they were, you know, they were actually out there trying to help people <laughs> unlike, unlike the Corinthian, well, uh, the Corinthian in his own way thought he was helping, but yeah, I liked seeing Fiddler's Green. Yeah, he's played by Stephen Fry, 
great actor. I, once again, yeah. I just love the casting choice for that. Yeah. Uh, he's such a nice person to, <laughs> like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, he's just very, he feels like a warm blanket over you, if you will. <laughs> like, he just, he feels so calming and soothing. The one thing that's funny from the comic, the part where he rescues Rose did I kill you, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> you were saying that, and the only thing I could think of was like a warm man blanket over you. I was just like, oh, <laughs> um, when he's saving Rose from the like people down the alleyway in the comic, he just uses his cane, but I think in the show, he has a sword in his cane. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's yeah. what it looked like. And I was like, Damn, he about to cut some people. Is he? Are we sure he's not a nightmare? <laughs> hey, he was prepared. I like. He was. It. He said he had a had a. I forget how he worded it, but he said he had a revolver. Basically. Yeah, that's right. He did say that. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. I didn't get that. All right. Did y'all catch? Did y'all? Maybe you did, Richard, only because you were keeping up with story and stuff. Hey, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I agree. I, I I'm 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 admitting I didn't either. Um, I didn't see the whole unity fake out. Like when she went into the library, I was like, oh, this is kind of weird. This is odd. Like, I don't understand what's going on. Yeah. And then, you know, then we saw where she she sat there and got Rose to give up the uh, vortex and gave it because that's who she was supposed to be. The vortex unity was. Yeah. Did y'all see that coming? No, I. I yeah, I didn't. I, I, I didn't. Whenever they were getting to that part where she was in the library. Part of me was kind of hoping that like something was going to happen to where she could help save Rose, but I did. I definitely didn't see that she was supposed to be the the vortex of that generation. It wasn't supposed to be Rose. It was supposed to be her type thing. So I I didn't definitely didn't see that coming. Yeah, not, neither did I. I um I didn't see it coming. I didn't know. I didn't see the twist of desire was the one that bothered the right? child that eventually led to Rose Walker. That was all. And Jed. Yeah, and Jed. It's just bizarre. I'm very curious because there's these rules about like endless falling in love with mortals and all this stuff because that's the whole point with Nada. But apparently they can just like, I don't know, desire can just meddle with people if they want. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I need, I need some more ground rules. I'm hoping just judging by, because I kind of read a little bit ahead after Dollhouse ended to see where possibly season two will go. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping that we get some sort of rule establishment on the Endless in a later season. Yeah, because I, I, have, I have two things. One is, did you did you happen to catch like that the the heart that Rose pulls out is the same heart as what like his little like desire symbol was? Yes, and that's know. an... That is intentional. That is supposed to be because okay. it's desire that I think yeah. fathered that line. That is why it looks like a heart. Oh, okay. Which is uh, the clue. It's the clue that tells Morpheus like, oh, fuck, desire was behind this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that and the golden eyes thing. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing, and kind of like to your point about the rules and that type of thing is Morpheus says something about like, you know, how desire had done that. And he was like, you know what that would have caused or whatever, if he had actually killed Rose because it's some kind of bloodline or whatever. So I'm, I was like, what would have caused like, 
I, I don't know. I think it'd be, be interesting to figure out. He talks about it. He says that a vortex happened in the past and it completely like annihilated the waking world and they had to start over. So well, they're, they're implying that like there was a world before ours that just died because of a vortex. Well, I understand that. But like what he's, what he's saying is like, it seemed like is that that other vortex didn't have desire's blood in it. Like it was just right. A vortex is just something that happens, but like this one desire messed with and because it was a bloodline, there would have been something else that would have happened if he, because if he hadn't killed, if he didn't kill the vortex, like it was just going to destroy the universe, kind of like what he had said before. Mm-hmm. But with this one is like he was saying that because this vortex, because Rose had some of his blood, like his technically like some of his family's blood in her, something different might have happened. Something more, I don't know. I see what you're saying. Like the endless can't kill the endless. Yeah, yeah. So kind like, of thing. yeah. So I, it just kind of makes me wonder, like, what would have happened. And it, like, what's desire trying to play at, like, with that whole thing, with having killing, like, destroying that bloodline somehow? Yeah, I don't honestly know. Like, because I, I tried to look up, like, is there ever going to be a resolution? Like, what, why? Like, I looked up why does desire have this beef with dream? And the only thing I can think of is just that destiny, death, and dream are the three oldest, and uh, destruction. So it goes like this in order from number one to number seven, it goes destiny, death, dream, destruction, desire, despair, and delirium. And I think desire wants to just be higher up on that ranking. Yeah. And that's the beef. Like, that's the only thing that I could find of why. Now, someone who's a bigger fan may be screaming at me right now, <laughs> but that's all that I could find. Well, and like Dream even sits there and pretty much says, like, to Desire, do you think you could take on me, Death? Oh, yeah. And yeah. Destiny. Destiny. And Desire and Despair, like, they, they keep bringing up the prodigal, mm-hmm. that I believe you mentioned last time was Destruction. So, mm-hmm. basically, Destruction turns the tides on either faction. Yeah. You know what I mean? So... And he... He left for a reason too. I think he. I think the reason he left was due to all the infighting. I mean that that would make sense. Like yeah. it yeah. looks like they're building up towards that. As far as like rules and stuff like that, I wonder if they're going to do it like the Olympians, where it seems like you know, like gods are not supposed to have half bloods, like mm. be with mortals and stuff like that, and have half bloods, but they do it anyways. Yeah, and so you know, there's all these half bloods and stuff. That would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if it's just going to be a rule and like just nobody abides by it and they just go fuck anything that walks. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Like Zeus. Yeah, exactly. I would be curious to know like what does the lineage mean? Because he's like, you're a child of the endless. So like that's got to mean something. That's got to go somewhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I also don't understand why he didn't just like destroy the heart. Like, it has to go into somebody. Like, I know the heart, like, broke, and then I apparently went into unity. But, like, why couldn't he just destroy the vortex that was in the heart? Yeah, that's that's something that we'd have to ask Gaiman, because I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or why didn't he even try that? Because the fact of the matter is, like, even Dream himself was like, I don't even know everything there is to know about a vortex. Like, mm-hmm. I just know you gotta die. Like, <laughs> if I don't kill you, 
then everything else is going to shit. So yeah. I can't have that happen again. I've already survived one, and I, I don't plan on you know having that happen again. So, all right, we've already gone over Lila, Lila's baby, and the possible outcome of that. I mean, I think as far as like where we go from here, it seems evident. Like, just read future volumes of this. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, they're pulling it straight from the books, which I think is great. And like, this is a pretty you know solid series, anyways. The way it is, it's like 60-something issues, if I'm not mistaken, in total. So, I mean, these two seasons right here, I think, take us up to like 16 or 17. I think it's 16, though. But yeah, like... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just real quick about one of the things in that episode. I loved what Morpheus did with the serial killers. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, yes. I I love that, how he's just like, you're going to feel all the guilt that you've done to these people. And yeah, yeah it was, I love that scene. That was another one that just really showed like just what he could do. Mm-hmm. Was, that was, that was crazy. <laughs> I also like that unity when unity shows up, she tells Morpheus that he's not very bright. <laughs> like, <think that's laughs> yes. <so> funny. <laughs> She's just like, yeah. you're not very bright. Are you? And he's like, mm. <laughs> crosses his arms. <laughs> well, didn't, didn't somebody say at one point in time, I think it was even Morpheus himself. They can't muddle in, Human affairs. Yeah. So, like, how is it that he's, like, he's influencing the dude, like, all these things, like, to call the police, to kill themselves in their cars and whatever else. Like, is that not the same? Yeah. I mean, by, honestly, by Corinthian getting out and getting loose and causing, because I think they established that the Corinthian is the reason why we have serial killers, is, like, yeah. he's he's the reason why people want to do that awful stuff but anyway by him getting loose that's already interfering with men and like how they go about their lives i i think it's once again it's game and telling the story of like these are gods but they're not you know they have flaws and they will fuck up and even though there are rules they break them sometimes or bend them or whatever it may be yeah i agree yeah so i don't know if you're done but i'm going to talk about the behind the scenes are are you yeah, are you I'm done okay all right uh, this is uh, a long whoop, thing whoop. okay what you, you need your runtime oh yeah i'm sorry okay <laughs> the actual runtime for this final episode is 42 minutes and 4 seconds oh oh there's a short one for y'all yeah yes so i wanted to do this last week i couldn't so the sandman how it came to be like how this netflix show came to be Long story, so strap in. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Attempts to adapt the Sandman comic for live action had been in development limbo since 1990. Gaiman was first asked about the film adaptation by Warner Brothers in 1991, an offer to which Gaiman was apprehensive about. The development on the film adaptation began in 1996 with Roger Avery attached to direct, and Ted Elliott and Ted Rossio writing the script. Elliott and Rossio's script merged the first two Sandman storylines, Preludes and Nocturnes, and The Dollhouse into a single story. While Gaiman enjoyed the script, Avery was fired due to creative issues with the producer, John Peters. Following this, William Farmer wrote a screenplay in 1998 which Gaiman did not like and called it not only the worst Sandman script I've ever seen, but quite easily the worst script I've ever read. Good the Lord. Script, yeah. 
<laughs> the script featured radical differences from the source material, such as Dream as a villain and making him Lucifer Morningstar's brother. After reading Farmer's script, Gaiman became doubtful that the Sandman would ever be adapted into a film. So in 2007, he remarked that he would rather see no Sandman movie be made than ever having a bad Sandman movie. Good but him. added that yeah. he felt like the time for a Sandman movie is coming soon. He needed someone who had the same obsession with the source material as Peter Jackson did with Lord of the Rings or Sam Raimi had with Spider-Man. He added that he would like to see Terry Gillum direct the adaptation. He was quoted saying, I will always give anything to Terry Gillum forever. So if Terry Gillum ever wants to do Sandman, then as far as I'm concerned, Terry Gillum should do Sandman. If y'all don't know who Terry Gillum is, he's one of the people in part of the Monty Python in the Flying Circus. He's been in a ton of things. In 2013, DC Entertainment's president at the time, Diane Nielsen, said that the Sandman film was a project she considered a priority, considering the prospect as rich as the Harry Potter universe. So, later on, David S. Goyer, who had worked on the Dark Knight trilogy, pitched a Sandman adaptation to Warner Brothers in 2013. And by February 2014 was set to produce the film alongside Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Gaiman with Jack Thorne writing. Warner Brothers planned for Gordon-Levitt to star and possibly direct. The film was set to produce by New Line Cinema as part of a slate of films based on the property published under DC's Vertigo imprint and separate from the DC Extended Universe. So it wouldn't be part of the Snyderverse or anything like that at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eric, I'm going to butcher this last name, Eric Heiserer was hired to rewrite the film script in March 2016. Immediately afterwards, Gordon Joseph Gordon-Levitt departed due to disagreements with Warner Brothers over the creative direction of the film. The following November, Heiserer turned in his draft but departed, stating that the project should be an HBO series instead of a film. The quote was, I came to the conclusion that the best version of the property existed as an HBO series or a limited series, not as a feature film, not even as a trilogy. The structure of a feature film really doesn't mesh with this. So that was all the stuff that went on for it just trying to be a film. So now I'm going to move in, move on to how it became a television series. This is all pulled from Wikipedia for our listeners. Y'all can go on and, and search more. There's links to their sources, which I double checked, but just easier to read <laughs> what Wikipedia said. Due to the prolonged development period of the film in 2010, DC Entertainment shifted focus into developing a television adaptation. Film director James Mangold, you may know this name. He did, most notably for me, uh, he did Logan and the Wolverine. He did 310 to Yuma, a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. Uh, Great director. He pitched a series concept to HBO while consulting with Gaiman as an unofficial basis, but it did not materialize due to what James Mangold said, political turf war at WB. It was reported. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It was reported back in September 2010 that Warner Brothers Television was licensing the rights to produce a TV series and that the supernatural creator, Eric Kripke, was the preferred candidate to adapt the saga. 
Gaiman later revealed that he disproved of Kripke's take, and the development of the TV series adaptation halted because Goyer, uh, his film version was pressing forward smoothly at the time. So that we, we I kind of jumped back in time, but they were taught there were talks about basically a television series going on, but then Goyer was like, No, I've got this idea for a movie. And of course, Goyer had done the Dark Knight trilogy, so he yeah, his his thought and ideas held more weight at the time. Yeah. Goyer connected Gaiman to screenwriter Alan Heinberg, a fan of Gaiman's work. While Heinberg initially refused his offer to work on the series, as he initially perceived it as unfilmable, Goyer managed to convince him to do so as he planned to adapt the comics as a series. Heinberg became the showrunner and executive producer and collaborated with Gaiman, who was also an executive producer while creating the series. In June 2019, Netflix signed a deal with Warner Brothers to produce the series and gave it an order of 11 episodes, the first 10 of which were initially released altogether and the 11th as a bonus episode. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Warner Brothers pitched the series to multiple networks, including HBO, which declined to move ahead due to its massive budget. Really? Yeah, that I was that due was due to I, its massive budget? Right. And they do like they spend hand over fist millions of dollars on Game of Thrones. Yeah. I was shocked to read that. That's what I was like we fell off of the whole House of Dragon. Like we mm-hmm. started watching it and then it's just we just fell off of it and then they got rid of Westworld like why not grab something like this and have this ready to go? Yeah. Yeah, I I have no idea. I have no idea. I was so shocked when I read that. Yeah, that's it's, that's crazy. It's something I don't know. Something's going over there at WB. Sometimes they are like Sony in a lot of ways. They make some dumbass decisions. <laughs> but you know what? Like as much as I don't like Netflix, that might have been the best for them, only because of all the things that was going on with the buying and the selling and the this and the that. And then AT and T was in so much debt because they sat yeah. there and bought Warner Brothers and all that. Like that must be part of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Netflix snatched it up as part of an attempt to obtain big intellectual properties and attract subscribers. Because at the time, Netflix was losing. You know, all they had all these deals with other networks, and the contracts were ending, so they were taking them to their streaming services. And Netflix needed some like original content, so. They were like, absolutely, we'll buy it up. Uh, Gaiman said he would be more involved than he was in the 2017 to 2021 television adaptation of American Gods, but less than he was with the 2019 adaptation of Good Omens. Okay. So that was the end of how it became a television series. I just want to talk a little bit about the writing and a couple of things on the casting, and then I will be done. (laughs) (laughs) so the writing the creative team sought to faithfully adapt the source material beginning with the first season adapting preludes and nocturnes the dollhouse and the first two issues of dream country the creators made significant narrative changes for the source material with gaiman's approval and also received feedback while creating the sets with heinberg saying everything gets neil's eyes and his feedback the team was inspired by the art from the comic with props and sets being created to be faithful to the comic. The series featured changes intended to modernize the source material for contemporary audiences. For example, 
It begins in 2021 rather than 1989, with Dream now having been imprisoned for 105 years instead of 75 years. Other characters were similarly updated as, if we were creating the character now, what gender would the character be, who would they be, and what would they be doing? Changes included expanding the role of the Corinthian into being the big bad for the first season, altering the various characters and storylines, and removing references to other DC comic characters such as Martian Manhunter and Mr. Miracle. John D. Uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> John D. was not depicted as Dr. Destiny, and John Constantine was reimagined to a female character, Joanna Constantine. Gaiman opted to remove references to the DC Universe as the overall Sandman series moved away from the initial ties with the DC Universe to avoid potential implications that the series would tie into other DC comic adaptations in the future. Smart move. The role of Matthew the Raven was also extended in the series for Morpheus to have someone with which he could share his thoughts with, which were depicted as an inner monologue or thought bubbles in the comic and impractical to do so in live action. Another smart move. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> they often discussed why is it essential to tell the story of the Sandman right now, with Heidenberg stating that the answer has informed very creative decisions we've made since the Sandman is an exploration of what it means to be human, to be mortal, and therefore vulnerable, capable of being hurt, but also capable of loving and being loved. The Sandman is the story of an honorable, arrogant king who slowly, very slowly, learns to love. How to be a loving friend, a loving brother, and a loving father. Goyer summarized the series as a story about a god who, over the course of the story, sheds his godhood and becomes mortal and learns what it means to be mortal. It's a story about a really fucked up, dysfunctional family, the endless. Even though they're godlike beings, they all have their petty squabbles. Some of them hate each other. Some of them love each other. It's just that when they fight, entire worlds and universes suffer. And they call it a melodrama. <laughs> and the last thing I just thought this was interesting, it was on casting. And it has to deal with Patton Oswalt was a longtime fan of the... Sandman series, and he was the first actor who was cast in the series. He was the voice of Matthew the Raven the day before the Sandman was pitched at Netflix. Oh, wow. Really? He was, yeah, he was cast before Morpheus, which in September of 2020, Tom Sturridge entered negotiations to portray Dream after screen testings alongside Tom York, Colin Morgan, with Liam Hemsworth and Darcy Montgomery were under considerations for the role of the Corinthian. Gaiman had said he had watched over 1,500 casting auditions for Morpheus and felt that Sturridge was the right role after watching his audition tapes. Sturridge was unfamiliar with the source material, but he became a devoted fan after he was casted. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've said it time and time again that casting of Dream was spot on. Yeah. Like, I'm very much glad that we did not get Liam Hensworth yeah. as Dream because I, well, he was, I don't want to see him. As he was saying that he was in for the role for uh, the Corinthian. Liam Hensworth was. Oh. Tom York and Colin Morgan were on for the role of Dream, which if you look at them, they both look like freaking Tom Sturridge. <laughs> like they, they, they're, 
these thin, pale, emaciated men. <laughs> That's funny. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, I think I think they made a lot of smart moves. I'm glad Gaiman was yeah. patient with this, and mm-hmm. I think he knew what he had. Honestly, like I think that is probably his best selling book of any, at least comic book wise. Like I don't hear too many people talking about Good Omens or American Gods. Like it's usually if they're talking about Gaiman, it's it's Sandman. Sandman. Like, yep. So I'm glad he was patient, and stuck with his guns on that. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm happy that he was patient and that like all the people involved were like Gaiman gets last say so. Yes. And if Gaiman doesn't like it, Gaiman gets to change it. And I think that shows. Yeah. I, I agree. Like I I I'm glad that he had a had a vision for it and he, he stuck to it. And uh I mean it's it's definitely a great show. I mean it's it's no Harry Potter, but you know, it's it's still a good show. <laughs> If Harry Potter was gothic, it would be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's very true. <laughs> I, I'm very surprised we didn't get this in like the 90s. This this mm-hmm. seems like such a freaking grunge, gothic, crow, yeah. spawn, whatever that time period, like movie. That we be- honestly. Yeah. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm, it right? would have been way worse if we'd have gotten yes. it back then. Oh, totally yeah. agree. And I'm glad they went with the TV series as well instead yeah. of a movie. Me too. Mm-hmm. I think I think you're able to like actually digest this better as a TV series than than it would have been a movie. So yeah, and like I agree. Like I just that I feel like more more of these kind of should be like the superhero should be TV series or some kind of a series, but not just a six episode spit. Here you go. There's just this character and move on to the next one type thing. Like. <laughs> It's just, it's cool seeing some of the new characters, but you get like, get such a high level of that character. You really have no idea much about them. And then with this, like you really get to know, no dream and get to kind of know what he goes through and what he's about. And I, I, I really enjoy it. Cool. All right. So to finish this up, do y'all recommend this to anybody? If, if you get to talking to somebody about some nerd shit and they're talking about a TV show, would you recommend The Sandman on Netflix to anybody? Jeremy? Yeah, I, de- I definitely would. Like, I was just, just thinking about that a minute ago. I got a friend in the neighborhood that I talk superhero comic book stuff with. And I was like, I, I need to check with him, see if he's see if he's watched this one, because it's a it's a good one. I, I definitely would recommend it. Has he read Slapstick? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Richard? <laughs> yeah, I absolutely would recommend this. If you like Doctor Who, if you like stuff like that, absolutely read it. I don't know if it's like, if someone who's like a big fan of like the Marvel movies, like where it's like a a person has to punch another person at the end to solve the issue. I don't think they're going (laughs) to like this because I don't think there's a single like punch thrown in this. Maybe I'm wrong. No, I mean, I'm wrong. But anyway... It's a great story. I think you should watch it. You should definitely watch it in the order I think we watched it. I really feel like that 11th episode, putting it after six, would have worked way better. Yeah. And it kind of more separates these two kind of arcs, like the one through five and then the seven through 10. But yeah, I absolutely would recommend this. I wonder if that 11th episode was like, kind of like what we were complaining about, where we didn't get a lot of dream. But there's not even a whole lot of dream in that 11th episode either. But like when he's there towards the end of Calliope or whatever, like it's freaking awesome. Like when he's there, you know what I mean? Like definitely you go out on top, like Mm -hmm. with that. 
But yeah, no, I think the way we did it, I like the way we did it. I'm glad you watched the head of time, Richard, and I'm glad you suggested that. I think that was a really good mm-hmm. balance and it made watching this like way more consumable, in my opinion. So yeah. yeah. Cool. Y'all got anything else? No, nope. I don't think so. Jeremy, where can they find you at? Uh, they can find me on Twitch under the handle Night Fury GTO. That's Night with a K. And you can find me here. Awesome. Richard, where can they find you at? Uh, you can find me on Twitter if you want to contact me directly. My handle is Night Curry, Night like day and night, and Curry with a K. If you want to contact us directly, you can contact us via our Gmail. Our Gmail is comicallycomicspodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to check us out on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram, you can check us out under the name Comically Comics Podcast. Awesome. You can find me on Instagram and eBay at 22 underscore comics. You can also find me on YouTube at 22 comics. Thank you all so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did making it. With all that being said, say goodbye, Jeremy. Bye, Jeremy. Bye, Jeremy. Bye. (laughs) Matthew? Is that you? No, that's a crow. I'm a raven. Common mistake.